Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Hi, Reimagining Love listeners. I have been working on a big project now for quite some time, and I'm so thrilled that I finally get to share it with you. My newest book, Love Every Day, is now available for pre-order. This book is in a different format than my previous books. So for each date of the year, I offer a short, thought-provoking reflection and or practice that will help you cultivate relational self-awareness so that you can heal and grow all year long. Each daily practice in Love Every Day will help you understand the impact of your past and your partner's past, get your needs met, enhance intimacy, improve communication, and address relationship problems. For those of you who've been a part of my Instagram community for a long time and have been enjoying my short musings on all things relationships, I think this format is really going to resonate for you and create an enhanced version of this experience in a beautiful, giftable book. It even has a fancy little ribbon to keep your place as you read throughout the year. Whether you're single, in a relationship, or between relationships, Love Every Day invites you to develop awareness, curiosity, and empowerment so that you can be seen and loved as your most authentic self and heal from times when you weren't. If you are ready to embark on a years-long journey of self-reflection and inquiry, this book will be your trusty guide, and I think you're really going to notice how you and your relationships flourish throughout the year as you cultivate this daily practice. I hope you will grab a copy for your own nightstand, for your loved ones, and for your friends. To pre-order the book now, visit the show notes of this episode or go to loveeverydaybook.com. Happy reading. Welcome to another solo deep dive episode here on Reimagining Love. Today, we are discussing a topic that tends to strike pretty strong opinions, whether or not to be friends with your ex. 
If you know me by now, you know that I am not going to give you a yes or no answer. We just like don't do that around here. I'm going to instead offer you some relational self-awareness informed frameworks that you get to use to guide your decision making. Okay, I want to start by naming some really important context. A lot of the content of this episode is going to imply that you have choice of whether or not to continue being in some kind of contact with your ex. And for some of us, having no contact with an ex is impossible or next to impossible. For example, one, if you and your ex are co-parents, you are going to have to have some kind of continued relationship with each other. Co-parents need to figure out what is possible and what is healthy and what is wise for themselves and for their kids in terms of how their relationship looks going forward. But be clear, a co-parenting relationship and a friendship are not the same thing. Second example would be if you and your ex work together you know, potentially one of you could leave your jobs and one of you might do that for the sake of your healing, but that might not be possible. We don't always have those kinds of degrees of freedom and flexibility and agility around work. So here again, it's really worth noting that remaining coworkers and becoming friends are not the same thing. Okay, and then finally this one, this third example. What about if you and your ex are part of the same friend group? This one might initially, like at first glance, seem a bit fuzzier perhaps because friendship certainly feels more at will than parenting, than work. But friendship is a powerful and vital antidote to the epidemic of loneliness that is well-documented and that is really, really crappy for our mental health and for our physical health. So leaving a friend group because your romantic relationship has ended might be necessary if the risks of repeatedly being exposed to your ex outweigh the risks of loneliness. That certainly might be the case, but that is far from a foregone conclusion, right? Having to rebuild a social network in the wake of a breakup is not to be taken lightly. So I would add this is another scenario where there's a trickier context and where ongoing contact with an ex might be less than ideal, but necessary nonetheless. And here again, remaining socially connected to prevent isolation and becoming friends are not the same thing. So maybe you agree to be cordial during group plans versus actively seeking each other out, actively spending time one-on-one, being vulnerable with each other, right? Those are very different things. Being cordial, you know, when there are group plans so that each of you has access to this really important group that has history, that's different than a friendship that extends outside of group plans that's different than seeking each other out, you know, during group plans. Research has found that friendship is especially a cornerstone in the lives of people who are LGBTQIA+. In fact, the term chosen family is a term that is central in queer culture, and chosen family is a powerful antidote to the impact of minority stress. So, 
It's no surprise that research has also found that when compared with people who are heterosexual, people who are LGBTQIA plus are far more likely to be friends with an ex and they are more likely to find that friendship to be satisfying and important and central. So I think this issue of remaining socially connected because your social network, because your chosen family is vital to you, that is true for folks no matter their orientation and their intersection of identities, but it may be especially true for folks who are queer. So those are three contexts co-parenting situations, work situations, situations where you are both deeply embedded in the same friend group. Those are situations where you might not be able to or might not want to or it might not be advisable to have no contact with each other. But what about the flip? In some situations, you may not have a fork in the road. You may not have a choice of whether or not you're going to build a post-breakup friendship because your ex may not be available for a post-breakup friendship. They may not want ongoing connection of any kind. And unless friendship works for both people, it works for zero people, right? So again, for the purposes of this episode, we are going to assume that there is some level of choice because the focus of this episode is really about using relational self-awareness to help you get clear on your motivation. When you're standing at that fork in the road and you're trying to figure out, do I want to attempt to build a post-breakup friendship or do I want to just move on with no contact whatsoever? We're going to imagine you at that fork in the road and we're going to make an assumption here that there's some measure of choice and that's going to allow me to do the thing I want to do with you today, which is talk to you about motivation. Okay, so let's first define friendship. You know, I think there's a lot of words in the relational sphere that we throw around without operationalizing. And (laughs) you know me and you know this show, you know that I do love to uh, operationalize our terms and make sure that we're really clear, right? So rather than just you and your ex shrugging your shoulders and saying, let's be friends, let's get really clear on what are you saying to each other when you say that? What are you saying to each other if you say that? So I took a peek at a 2019 piece that Arthur Brooks wrote for The Atlantic. And we linked it in the show notes. And in this article about friendship, he talked about how 2,000 years ago, Aristotle wrote about a ladder of friendship in the Nicomachean ethics. And this ladder of friendship has three rungs. And the bottom rung of friendship is about utilitarian relationships, transactional relationships. Here, emotional bonds are pretty weak, happiness benefits are pretty low. It's basically about kind of the function that each of you serves in each other's lives. So this would be kind of work relationships or pretty loose social ties. People are doing each other's favors and it's sort of transactional and very much in that context. The middle rung of friendship is based on pleasure, that this is, um, these are relationships where, that are based on a shared interest or a quality that you admire about each other, like their intelligence or their sense of humor. So there's the base of these kinds of middle rung friendships is pleasure. 
And then Aristotle described the highest rung of friendship. Uh, And these are referred to as friendships of virtue or perfect friendships. These are relationships that are pursued for their own sake. They're not a means to an end. The relationship is the end itself. They're not instrumental. They're not going anywhere. They are complete and whole as they are. So even though... I'm not a huge fan of hierarchy, so I don't love this kind of bottom, middle, high. I think it's interesting the way that he categorized kind of the function. Is the function transaction? Is the function pleasure? Or is the function simply the existence in and of itself? And then Arthur Brooks goes on to talk about a 2019 survey that was commissioned by Evite, where they surveyed 2,000 Americans, and they found that the average adult has 16 people that they would classify as friends. But when you break it down, eight of those people are not people that they would hang out with one-on-one. So perhaps Aristotle's bottom rung people. And then five are people who are described as people that they really like. So maybe middle rung. And then three are described as friends for life. So perhaps what Aristotle would have referred to as the highest rung. So I think that's an interesting kind of breakdown that when you ask people about these kind of center, you know, really central, more peripheral, they can kind of categorize or classify the degree of closeness and the sort of type of function that this person serves in their lives. Brooks makes a distinction between deal friends and real friends. And that's going to come up later on in a bit when we talk about tapping into your motivation for creating friendship with your ex. But for now, see if you can check in with yourself about the degree to which the romantic relationship itself, the intimate relationship itself that you had with this person, what, what's the degree to which that relationship was transactional or expedient or a stepping stone versus to what degree was that relationship an end unto itself? Because sort of mapping the romantic relationship onto that idea of rungs of relationship will give you some important context and framing to help you understand where might this relationship go now in your life post-breakup. Okay, let's look now at some data to help better understand just how common it is to be friends with your ex and what we know already about why people might seek post-breakup friendship. So a little bit more American data coming your way. There was a 2022 YouGov survey of a thousand Americans and they found that among people who say that they have at least one living ex-romantic partner, 17% reported that they are friends with all of their exes. 37% report that they are friends with one, but not all of their exes. And the largest share, 44%, say that they are not friends with any of their exes. So nearly half of the sample reported that they are not friends with any of their exes. And women, 49%, were more likely than men, 38%, to say that they are not friends with any of their exes. Okay, a little more data, less scientific. A couple of years ago, I did a little um, Instagram story poll about this question of being friends with your ex. And I posed it like this. I said, have you ever successfully become friends with your ex? 
And I received just about 900 responses from people all over the world. And 35% said yes, they had. And 64% said no, they had not. And I then followed up with a sticker, you know, like an open-ended sticker. And the sticker said, what helped us go from partners to friends, dot, dot, dot. And people just kind of filled in their response from there. And the number one response, so when my team and I looked at all the responses that we got, and we sort of put them into categories as we <laughs> love to do, the number one response by far was some version of taking time to transition from intimate partners to friends or taking a period of no contact. That was the secret sauce. That was what helped people make the transition from intimate partnership to friendship. Time to transition or a period of no contact. The second biggest theme that emerged was clear boundaries and mutual expectations. One person, in fact, got super specific and said, we do neutral activities and we do no movies on the couch. (laughs) No movies on the couch seems to be a pretty solid rule of thumb for people who used to be lovers, right? To, To not put yourselves in a situation where one thing might lead to the next and not from a place of you know, shame or morals or ethics, but more so just from a, a place of protecting relational boundaries, protecting relational health, protecting what recovery requires because sleeping with an ex, especially when it's kind of something that you slip into and don't do with much intention, can undo healing progress, can undo recovery. So before we move on, here are some other responses to that sentence stem. What helped us go from partners to friends, abiding affection. The fact that we both moved on to different relationships and it ended without contempt. Self-reflection, mutual respect, independent growth, appreciation for who they are as a person, the realization that we were better friends and co-parents, Honest conversations about the impact of painful experiences. Forgiveness. Genuine desire for each other's happiness. I really like to share those, you know, like reports from the trenches, people's actual words that emerge from their lived experiences. I think that sharing that just gives some validation and some sense of camaraderie that if you're sitting with this question, you are neither the first one nor the only one who sat with this question. So I hope that sharing people's reflections and insights and ahas with you gives you some support. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, so that's a little bit about the prevalence, a little bit about the process. What about the why? So 2017 research by Rebecca Griffith and her colleagues explored some key questions about being friends with your ex. So first, they found that it was common. So unlike what I found in my little Instagram data where 64% of people were not friends with their ex, and unlike what that Evite study found where 44% were not friends with an ex, these folks found that 59% of their participants were friends with an ex. And in another study, 65% were. It's important to note that they got a little bit more granular when they asked the question, and they found that a full 70% of people who were friends with their ex had been friends before they were romantic partners. So it went friendship, dating, back to friendship for a full 70% of people who reported post-breakup friendships. And they say that fits with prior research. Prior research has suggested that being friends before you dated does, in fact, predict being friends after. And the thinking here is that you already have a template. You already have a schema in place. It is easier to return to something than to build something from scratch. So this team also looked at why people sought friendship after a breakup. And they found four main reasons. So when they asked people, what was your motivation? Why did you choose to be friends with your ex after you broke up? They found four main reasons. The first one was what they called civility, for civility reasons. In other words, I wanted to lessen the pain. I wanted to have less drama from this breakup. The second reason was about unresolved romantic desires. I want to see other people, but I want to keep you within arm's reach in case I change my mind. The third reason that people reported was practicality. We work together, we go to school together, we share the same friends, and thus we should stay on good terms to minimize the fallout within our larger networks. And the fourth reason was for security. This sounded like things like, you know, I I trust you, I want you to remain in my life as a confidant, as a supportive presence. What this research team found is that the people who reported that they were staying friends post-breakup due to unresolved romantic desires had the worst outcomes. They had the most negative outcomes. Negative outcomes included things like, this friendship made me feel depressed. This friendship kept me from initiating new friendships. This friendship reminded me of what I had lost. Okay, so the people who said, I stayed in a friendship or I built a friendship or we you know, we agreed to be friends because of unresolved romantic desires. I want to keep you in arm's reach in case I change my mind. Those people did the worst. They reported that the friendship was a source of pain, suffering, and struggle in their lives. Whereas the people who stayed friends with their ex because of security, I want you in my life, or because of practical reasons, we have some important overlap, those people had more positive outcomes in their friendships. They said things like, this friendship is a positive thing for me. This friendship helps me feel more secure. And then one final finding is that the people who stayed friends because of practical reasons, we work together, we have the same friend group, or civility reasons, we're trying to be low drama, 
those resulted in friendships that were less likely to last in the long term. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about you. (laughs) You know from other episodes that when I'm sitting with you at a crossroads and I'm offering you guidelines to help you decide where you are going to go next, my main goal is to help you slow down and tune out all the noise around you because we know that when it comes to romantic relationships, the opinions and the noise are very loud. And to help you turn your attention inward and to help you listen from within, to self-reflect so that your choice emerges from an anchored, aware place inside of you, at least as much as possible. My goal is to help you get clear on your motivation, your why. And here, your motivation about whether or not to cultivate a post-breakup friendship. And when I talk about motivation, I talk about two types of motivation, the motivation of love and the motivation of fear. The motivation of love is about approach. The motivation of fear is about avoidance. The motivation of love sounds like a choice. The motivation of love feels like moving toward something. The motivation of love comes from a place that trusts bounty and plenty and enoughness. Whereas the motivation of fear sounds like a should or a must or a have to. The motivation of fear feels like avoiding something. The motivation of fear worries about scarcity and absence and not enoughness. So if you are trying to figure out whether or not to be friends with your ex, your main task is to tap into what is the blend of motivation that's arising inside of you? What is the pie chart of love versus fear as you stand at this fork in the road? To what degree are you choosing something that you desire versus avoiding something that you fear or dread? And as we tease apart the decision and the motivation, what we realize is that there are two choices, be friends or not be friends, And there are two motivations, love and fear. This means that there are four outcome scenarios, right? Scenario one, I am motivated by fear to be friends with my ex. Scenario two, I am motivated by love to be friends with my ex. Scenario three, I am motivated by fear to not be friends with my ex. Scenario four, I am motivated by love to not be friends with my ex, right? So imagine, (laughs) as I have here in my notes, a two-by-two square. I I do love two-by-two squares. (laughs) They make me feel very happy. So it's like a two-by-two square. One square is motivated by fear to be friends. One square is motivated by love to be friends. Another square is motivated by fear to not be friends. And the last square is motivated by love to not be friends. Okay, got that in your mind? I'm going to now offer you some language of what each of these four scenarios would sound like. And as I share this language, see which of these four 
resonates most for you? Which one feels most like you? And you could listen to this part again of me sharing the four scenarios, this time with your ex in mind, like putting yourself in your ex's shoes, imagining how they're thinking about this fork in the road, how they're experiencing this fork in the road, and see if you can locate your ex in one of these four scenarios. What are your ex's motivations for either choosing friendship or choosing to walk away? To what degree are you and your ex aligned versus misaligned? Okay. So here's the four. Scenario one, motivation of fear to be friends with your ex. Sounds like this. I have to be friends with my ex because it's so hard to get close to people, to feel known by people. I have to be friends with my ex because I'm afraid to lose parts of my life that are entwined with this person. I have to be friends with my ex because I don't want them to move on. I don't want them to love and be loved by somebody else. I have to be friends with my ex because it's going to make the ending hurt less and I don't quite know if I can handle the grief. I have to be friends with my ex because I'm afraid of how bad they're going to feel and I worry about their ability to handle the grief. I have to be friends with my ex because I'm afraid that ending a connection with this person invalidates the memories that we share together. I have to be friends with my ex because I'm afraid that if we aren't friends, it signals that my ex wasn't as important to me as I thought they were, or that I wasn't as important to them as I thought I was. I have to be friends with my ex because if I'm not friends with them, I worry it says something negative about me, like I somehow can't handle it. Okay, that was scenario one. Here's scenario two. Motivation of love to be friends with your ex, like choosing actually choosing post-breakup friendship might sound like this. I want to be friends with my ex because there are pleasurable and special aspects of life that I only share with them. And I want to continue that even in the absence of a romantic connection. I want to be friends with my ex because our lives are entwined in a way that I actually really like. I want to be friends with my ex because there is more here than a role or a label or a status of intimate partner. I value the connection to this soul, to this fellow traveler, if you will. Okay, scenario three, motivation of fear to not be friends with your ex might sound like this. I shouldn't be friends with my ex because other people will judge us. I shouldn't be friends with my ex because I think that it means that I'm silly or weak or needy. I shouldn't be friends with my ex because I think it will keep me or them from moving on. Scenario four is motivation of love to not be friends with your ex. Might sound like this. I choose not to be friends with my ex. I bless this chapter of my life for what it was and I move along. I choose not to be friends with my ex because I believe it is the best way to free my ex up to create other connections, knowing that it does not diminish the significance of my relationship with them. I choose not to be friends with my ex because I believe it is the best way to free myself up to create other connections while still valuing the place that this relationship had in my life. So the goal 
is to move yourself into a felt sense of the motivation of love. It's a place beyond right choices and wrong choices, a place beyond guilt, a place beyond fear, a place beyond should and must and have to. The motivation of love is a place of trusting yourself, trusting your process, trusting that you get to create something on your terms rather than based on somebody else's definition of should. If and as you anchor yourself into that place inside of you, then the decision to move into a friendship or not emerges or bubbles up organically from there. The decision just sort of arises from a sturdier place inside of you. And it's what makes sense and extends from that seat of self-awareness. And it becomes a situation where the decision then therefore just makes sense, extends from, flows from that seat of self-awareness inside of you. So let's move on to some questions and some considerations that can help you tap into and like locate that seat of self-awareness inside of you. I'm going to talk you through four relational self-awareness questions to help you access the motivation of love and to then make a choice from that place. So question number one, to what degree is being friends with your ex an effort to avoid or bypass your grief? You might be wanting to keep a connection with your ex so that you don't have to feel the difficult feelings that come along with the ending of a relationship, which is so, so, so understandable. And those are feelings, by the way, that come even if you are the one initiating the breakup. I think that we don't talk nearly enough about how difficult it is to be the one who ends the relationship. I think that we have a story that the one who ends the relationship is the perpetrator and the one who is broken up with is the victim. We make these pretty harsh binaries all over the place in our relational world. And I think what that does is the person who's initiated the breakup, it cuts them off from feeling entitled to or feeling able to access the grief that comes with being the one who initiates. So you may be trying to kind of figure out how to do a friendship to spare yourself the grief, to not experience or feel the depths of the grief. And that is whether or not you're the person who initiated the breakup or whether or not you're the person who was broken up with. But here's what we know about grief. It will wait for you. If you try to bypass your grief now by being friends, it's going to sneak up on you later. It's going to come out sideways somehow. You know that if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that I often quote the therapist mantra that the way out is through. Feelings do not go away just because we're avoiding them. They just kind of sit there waiting for us to attend to them. So it's why so many people who filled out the little sticker on Instagram talked about taking some time to heal before attempting friendship. There's a way that people sort of intuitively know or get that they have to have a period of grieving, of space, of mourning, of separation before something new can arise. Your fear of grieving may be so understandable, especially if you have some history here. 
perhaps in your family of origin, you witness somebody being abandoned by an intimate partner or betrayed by an intimate partner, and you had a front row seat to that person's devastation. It makes sense that there's a scary echo here for you. What might it be like for you to begin to trust yourself to hurt without being destroyed, that you can do it differently than what you saw? Or if you yourself experienced abandonment in your family of origin, you may understandably be resistant to touching anything anywhere near that feeling again. But I want to remind you that you are likely so much more equipped today as an adult than you were as a child then. But you have the job of reminding little you that that was then and this is now. The abandonment you experienced when you were little is not the same as stepping away from this romantic relationship today. That was then, this is now. The difference is that today you have your own back. You are on your own team. You can extend validation and care to yourself as you grieve. Being friends with your ex because you are afraid of the hurt is very likely going to keep you stuck. It's like you sending yourself a sneaky message that you cannot trust yourself, right? It's like if you're avoiding this grief, you're saying to yourself that you can't handle it. You're reinforcing this idea. So see what might shift even just a little baby bit as you affirm to yourself that grief is painful and possible. Both those things are true. Grief is painful and possible. It's doable. It's tolerable. You can resource yourself with support. You can treat yourself with tenderness. You can move step by step, breath by breath, into and through the sadness. You deserve to experience your resilience, resilience that you may wish that you didn't have to forge, but resilience that you can forge nonetheless. Question two, to what degree is being friends with your ex an effort to quiet your guilt. So if you are the one who initiated the breakup, you are likely feeling worried about your ex's ability to recover from the breakup, and you might be offering friendship to soften the blow. And that may very well come from a place of care inside of you, a place of concern inside of you. But that it makes sense. It's understandable that you have feelings of empathy, maybe feelings of sympathy for what you know your ex is going through. But I want you to remember that clarity and cruelty are two very different things. And I want you to entertain the idea that remaining friends with your ex might actually be doing them a disservice because it might be keeping them from beginning to heal and move on without you. They may need time and space away from you to begin to heal. So it may be actually the caring thing, the loving thing, the gentle thing to step away and give them space. And the more that you do stuff to protect your ex from their discomfort and their pain, the more you are giving them the message that they cannot handle their pain. And then the more it might feel to them like they really can't handle their pain, right? It becomes a cycle where the more you give them the message that this is scary and therefore you should stay close to them and you guys should be friends and you shouldn't have any space, the more they get the message that they can't handle the space and they can't handle the pain, you know, so it kind of takes on a life of its own. Here again, there might be a tie to your family of origin. Perhaps you were the so-called 
easy child. You were highly adaptable. You were very accommodating. You were expert at reading the scene of what other people needed. You were expert at asking for very little because the big people were already stressed out, already stretched thin. If this was you, then you know how to offload what is good and necessary for you so that other people can be comfortable. You did this for years in order to survive, and thank goodness you did. You did it to keep the peace. You did it to help the big people be as calm as they could be so that they could do what they needed to do. So thank goodness you did it then, but you don't need to do it now. Part of your healing is beginning to trust that advocating for what you want and need is not in and of itself harmful or catastrophic. Perhaps it would have been when you were little. Perhaps when you were little, you really did have to go along to get along. So say thank you to little you for being so adept and remind little you that was then, this is now. Then you had to shrink so that other people wouldn't feel bad. Now you get to factor in what you want, what you need, what serves your highest good. Question number three. To what degree is being friends with your ex an effort to protect yourself from breakup regret? So remember from the research I shared earlier that people who become friends with their ex because of unresolved romantic feelings, those people tended to have the poorest outcomes, meaning that the friendships really didn't serve their emotional health. I suspect that's because this is such a liminal situation. It ends up being such a liminal situation. You're not in a relationship, but you're not moving on from the relationship. You're neither a romantic couple, nor are you really friends. It's kind of like a no man's land. It's like we aren't together. I'm sort of looking for a new partner, but I'm not sure if there's someone quote unquote better out there. So I'm keeping the door open with you. This might feel strategic but it's very likely ineffective. You are probably going to end up neither over your ex nor ready to step into a new relationship because you are setting yourself up to compare a new potential partner to your ex, which is a setup for disaster. We need to get to know new people on their own terms, not against the backdrop of our ex. So while I understand this strategy and while I have so much compassion for this strategy because dating is hard, because healing from a breakup is hard, I wonder what it might be like to extend compassion to yourself while also telling yourself that creating a friendship because you're wanting to keep the door open even a little bit is misguided and ineffective. It also, by the way, therefore, isn't really friendship, is it? It's more of that Aristotle, bottom rung, transactional means to an end situation, or what Arthur Brooks called a deal friend as opposed to a real friend, because your motivation for friendship is about keeping your option open. There's another layer here. Deciding to end a relationship is obviously a really, really difficult decision. And so it may be the case that your desire to be friends with your ex is a reflection of self-doubt really having a hard time trusting that you made, you know, the quote unquote right choice. And so I want you to remember that there's a really big difference between grief and regret. You can feel sad, very sad about something without it meaning that you need to undo it. 
It's confusing because grief, like any strong emotion, creates an action potential. It creates an urgency to do something. Emotions are bodily states. So when we experience deep sadness, for example, it can feel like we have to do something, like get back with our ex, like undo what's been done. By the way, for more on the whole topic of breakup regret, we did a whole episode about breakup regret a little while ago. So listen to episode 67 of Reimagining Love, and we've linked it for you in the show notes. Okay, so then sort of attached to that is one final layer about post-breakup friendships as an attempt to prevent regret. There's a tie here, again, to family of origin dynamics. So if you, for example, perhaps grew up in a more authoritarian, strict, top-down, controlling, hierarchical, like that sort of family where everything was decided for you, where you were given the message again and again that your ideas were silly or immature or that you were not capable of making wise choices. If that was the case, it's sort of like when and how do you make the transition of becoming capable of being in the driver's seat of your own life. If you were given that message for so long, it can feel very difficult to start to feel like you can trust your decision-making abilities. You may have a voice in your head, which is the voice of your attachment figures, that says, come on, like you don't really know what's best for you. Like you have internalized, you were a good listener to the messages in your family and you internalize this idea that you really don't know what's best for you. And so this might be leading you to undermine yourself in kind of some sneaky or subtle ways. And your healing, therefore, requires you to notice and celebrate all of your wise choices, the big ones, the small ones, all of them. So make it a practice to savor your savvy, (laughs) to really notice when you have chosen something and it was good and wise and nourishing and made sense for you and your life. Really notice and code and land and take in those experiences. So savoring your savvy is how you begin to bust up that old narrative that you are not to be trusted. It's how you change that narrative and start to seat within yourself a sense of trustworthiness. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard me talk about my absolute conviction that there are no mistakes. There are only FGOs, fucking growth opportunities. You are going to make a choice. You are going to either build a post-breakup friendship or you are not going to. Either choice is going to teach you something. Either choice is going to grow you or stretch you. Neither choice is a mistake. If you begin from that place, you end up looking at a completely different landscape of options. Question four, to what degree might you be trying to prove something to yourself, to your friends, to your family, by being friends with your ex? There's a larger cultural narrative that is about, it's almost like a moralistic cultural narrative about being friends with your ex. Kind of like this idea that being friends with your ex proves that you can handle it or proves that the two of you had, you know, one of these like sort of perfect fairy tale conscious endings, that it proves your maturity or it proves your self-awareness or it proves your magnet, wait, let me say it the right way. 
because I looked this word up because it's such a good word. Okay, it's the noun form of magnanimous, right? So magnanimous is the adjective. Here's the noun, magnanimity. Oh my God, what a good word that is. (laughs) That it somehow proves your magnanimity that you can handle it, that somehow you are like the bigger person or that the two of you get a gold star for being able to fashion a good post-breakup friendship. So again, it may really be the case, like that might be the motivation of love is that the two of you created an ending that felt really good and really whole and really beautiful to each of you, to both of you, and therefore a post-breakup friendship emerges from there. That may really truly be your story, but let's not elevate that story above other endings, which are more messy, which are less whole, and which therefore don't need to lead to a post-breakup friendship, right? It's not like a, let's let's really be careful about this better, worse notion and really try to find the, what is your path? What is the path that makes the most sense for you and the very, very unique, highly idiosyncratic contours of this particular love story? So just be careful of that cultural narrative that somehow elevates the kind of breakup that sets the stage for post-breakup friendship as better than the kind of breakup that does not set the stage for post-breakup friendship, right? Just I want to name and really point out that cultural narrative. I know that, you know, social media cutoffs, communication cutoffs are oftentimes viewed as petty or immature by others. And the ability to, you know, stay in touch even when the romantic relationship has ended somehow has like taken on this symbolic value as a sign of maturity. There's almost like a moral slant to being able to be friends. And, you know, people may derive a little bit of a sense of superiority because they did that. So I'm putting that out there because these cultural narratives have a tendency to take on an air of truth. They can just feel like fact. So by pointing out to you, this is a larger cultural story, I'm putting a little wedge of light between you and the story. The culture story about being friends with your ex as morally superior does not need to be your story. Your story is guided by relational self-awareness. Your story is that your best choice arises from your deep understanding of your past, your present, and the dynamics of this particular relationship. And you really do. You deserve to liberate yourself from other people's notions of what is good or right or superior. Okay, the last thing I want to do before I let you go is talk about creating a vision for a friendship. What might this post-breakup friendship look like? So the first thing to think about is whether you were friends before you were intimate partners. As I mentioned earlier, if yes, then the research has found that you are more likely to attempt a friendship after breakup and that this friendship might be easier for you because you have a template. You are returning to something rather than building something from nothing. But easier does not mean easy because you now have this entire added chapter of intimate partnership that comes with its own complexities, very different dynamics. So just because you were friends before doesn't mean that it's going to easily and seamlessly transition to being friends after because you've had this whole thing that has happened between you. And having said that, it is worth doing a gut check. Was your pre-dating friendship a means to an end? 
was that predating friendship a little bit transactional in that if one or both of you has always had some level of desire for intimate connection, then you really don't have the experience of friendship without attraction and romantic desire. So then you really are truly reimagining this relationship. So just a little (laughs) gut check there. Okay, if you are going to attempt a post-breakup friendship, I really do want the two of you to co-create a very clear and shared definition of friendship. I want you to vision it together rather than just sort of stumbling into it. You know, all friendships would benefit from intentional visioning. So why not take this opportunity to create something that is really aligned and really mutual together? So a few questions to get you started. How are we spending time together? In what contexts? What types of activities? What are our obligations to each other? What are our expectations of each other? How often are we talking and in what formats? How are we going to handle conversations about each of our dating lives? What information will be shared? What information will be left out? And how will we create and enforce a clear sexual boundary after having been lovers? And then finally, this friendship, like all relationships, is going to be an alive and dynamic thing. So plan to check in with yourselves and each other from time to time to see how it's going. There might be some trial and error here. You might need to do friendship for a while and then talk about it and tweak it and uh, reformat it as you go. Because motivations change over time, context change over time, needs change over time. So again, remembering that the key question here is for whom does this friendship work? And that if it only works for one of you, it works for neither of you. So is this friendship facilitating or constraining your healing? Is this friendship facilitating or constraining you from beginning to date again? And you know that it's going well if your investment in the friendship does not prevent your investment in a new intimate relationship. And if it does not block their investment in a new relationship, a new intimate relationship. So it's like there's a sweet spot of feeling both connected and liberated. All right, we did it. We covered a lot of ground once again. I hope that you feel validated. I hope that you have some takeaways to guide and support you as you move through the stages of ending and integrating and deciding what caring for yourself and caring for your ex might look like for you. So take good care of yourself until next time. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.